Our first slide of the morning related to the sermon is a painting depicting the subject of the text we will study this morning, the road to Emmaus. We had a little extra room in the worship bulletin, so I put a few verses in the worship bulletin of the beginning of that story of the road to Emmaus and uh, close to the end. Just so if you want to refer to that while we're uh, looking at it together, you can do that. But this painting is uh, by James Jacques uh, Tissot, T-I-S-S-O-T, American and French. I think he began as American and ended up as French, but he he goes by both. So good for him. Uh, He painted in the latter part of the 1800s. And this painting was done, I think, between uh, 1890 and 1894. It hangs in the, in the museum in Brooklyn. I did not know Brooklyn had a museum, but I'm happy they do. <laughs> uh, I think they've even specialized in Tissot's paintings, for he painted many of them, of the stories of the Gospels. And Tissot is good because he really paid attention to what each story was. Uh, you, you can see the attention to detail if you know the story well and see other depictions by other artists. Tissot is good. One of the things you cannot see probably with your eyes as I cannot with mine from a distance. But if you had it on your computer screen, Google, Google Images, Tissot, Road to Emmaus, Jesus has his right hand on the shoulder of the disciple to his right. It is a gesture of affection, a gesture of connection. Tissot understood what this moment was about, the love of Jesus for these two disciples. Now this story is one of three of the resurrection stories that Luke offers us in his final chapter of his account of the gospel. It's chapter 24. There are some structure issues with this that I'll try to help you understand. For often in in all of the New Testament, all of Scripture, you are looking at one piece, one paragraph, one story, but there are perhaps other contributors to that story before it, even other books, uh, later chapters, and that is true with this story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We need God's help always in understanding God's word. So we begin by prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we are here because we have learned enough about you to want to be here, to want to be with you and with each other, to learn more about you, to remember more about you, to be transformed more by your work in our lives through your spirit. Help us this morning with these these words you have caused to be written about uh, this moment Uh, in the resurrection appearances you made 
to your beloved disciples so long ago. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We are going to read Luke 24, uh, verses 13 through 34. So it's a little bit of text for us to work on, and I'm going to add some other to help you. You're going to have to roll up your sleeves a little bit this morning. I'll try to hustle, (laughs) but I don't want to leave you behind. I will say this, that of the three stories that Luke has in chapter 24, the first begins with the women at the tomb. The last is Jesus visiting a multitude of the disciples in the upper room late at night. And and then the road to Emmaus is story number two in between those. All three of the stories in Luke 24 occur on the first day of the resurrection. Jesus appeared to them. How many days did Jesus appear to his followers after he was resurrected? Forty. You find that in Luke 1. I mean, Acts 1. Uh, On the 40th day, Jesus was ascended from Mount Olivet after giving his disciples last commandments about what his vision for them was. That was on the 40th day. Ten days later, the 50th day after Passover, what happened? Pentecost. Okay, I'm really working you hard this morning. I can just see, I can see the glaze. But that structure's helpful. The day of resurrection, 40 days of appearances, the ascension, 10 days later, the Pentecost. I mentioned that period because the followers of Jesus Christ were together for those 50 days. And then on Pentecost, the followers of Jesus added 3,000 more people to the body of Christ, the believers, on the 50th day. But those 50 days and the days before, there were the, the followers, the disciples of Jesus with him in Jerusalem. They had come in with him. Palm Sunday, we honored that point. You need to know that structure for this story. So we'll begin by reading our first verses. Chapter 24 of Luke, verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now before I go on to the next verse uh, and the rest of this text, let's, let me give you a couple of things. Seven miles is not in the Greek uh, translation of the New Testament. The original writing of, the, of Luke in Greek, Koine Greek. Seven is not there, miles is not there. Instead, a measurement that they were using in their day. Sixty Stadia, not stadiums, stadia. And a stadia was a measure of distance. It was 200 yards. So this Emmaus 
was 60 stadia from Jerusalem. 60 stadia times 200, quick, quick, 12,000, good. And then we divide that by the number of yards in a mile for us folks. 1,760. Any teachers in the room? Thank you. Okay, good. So you divide that and you come up with, uh, where is it? Did I put it up there? Oh, yeah, 6.82. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was up there somewhere. I, I knew it was supposed to be. <laughs> it was on here. So that's close enough to seven miles. That's what we're going to translate it with. And uh, that culture in that day and many cultures around the world were walking cultures. Here in Texas, we're called a car culture. <laughs> right. Around the United States, we're pretty much a car culture. If we're just going three blocks to go to the grocery store or go take the cleaning up, we get in the car. Wind yourself back centuries. Everybody walked. They walked short distances. They walked long distances. They could walk 30 uh, stadia in one hour. So give us seven, seven miles. Was it? Give them two and a half hours to go from Jerusalem to uh, Emmaus. And uh, so as the story goes on, that's helpful to know. Because what time did this take? What happened after it? Uh, and here's the, here's the important part. They're walking to Emmaus. That seems, it's always the road to Emmaus. But it's also the road from Jerusalem. What's back in Jerusalem? The rest of the disciples. These two are not only going to Emmaus, they're going away from Jerusalem. They're not going out to look at blue bonnets. They're not going back uh, home for a change of clothes. They're going away. Keep that in mind. Who were the two of them? To do this, we're going to follow Luke's trail of describing the people who were following Jesus. So though we are on day one of the resurrection, I'm going to take you back into the middle of Jesus' ministry. To Luke 8, not Luke 24, Luke 8. And Luke 8, 1 through 3 has this. Soon afterwards, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. Oh, we always remember them. As well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary Magdalene, and to shorten this, I just put dot, 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 and Joanna, dot, 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 and Susanna. Mary Magdalene was cured of seven spirits, seven evil spirits or demons. Uh, Joanna was the wife of Chusa, the chief steward of Herod, the king who opposed Jesus. And yet his chief steward's wife is following Jesus all over Galilee. And, and then a Susanna. We have no other knowledge of who Susanna was, but oh, Susanna was there. And then the last phrase says, and many others. I don't consider two more many. I don't consider five more many. Many other women 
A lot of us just have a hard time getting away from Jesus was followed by 12 all around. No, a bunch of women. That's chapter 8. We move on to chapter 10 of Luke. Right up there, also back. Oh, we're waiting for a connection. I'll tell you what Luke 10 says. Jesus in Luke 9 had sent the 12 out in pairs to go and get some experience telling people about him. Luke 10 follows and says, After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. Jesus wasn't just grabbing them off the streets in Capernaum and Nazareth, saying, I need two more. Hey, hey, can I, would you two want to go? These were 70 people who were already following him, who knew something about him. Few of us realize that Jesus is now being followed by 70. Uh, and maybe the 70 included the 12, maybe it included men and women. Okay, you two women go there, you two men go there. And uh, on they went. So we're up to 70 who are following Jesus. I go to the next uh, slide, and in Luke 23 now, we're, getting, we're, we're after, after the cross. The women who had come with him from Galilee is the key word there. Almost all of the followers of Jesus were from Galilee. Uh, they were the upcountry people, uneducated, not as sophisticated as the Jerusalem and the people around Jerusalem. Uh, there were some who were following Jesus from Jerusalem, but some of them stayed in Jerusalem and stayed as secret service. Uh, there may have been some in that 70 that were from other towns, but they were mostly from towns out in Galilee. God loved to pick people who were less than others, less educated, less fortunate, less equipped, so that God could do in them what they could not do in themselves. Often when people come with lots of resources, they get in the way of God. God loved to take that which was unexpected to be able to serve him and employ them to become something far more than they could have. Uh, I've given a saying to you that uh, Martin Luther used, God can ride the lame horse and carve the rotten wood. And I've also said to you, that's the only kind of horses there were and the only kind of wood there was, because that's what we all are. But he even went to the extreme in tapping people and drawing people to himself that were desperate in their lives with physical illness, with other kinds of problems. And they became something great with him. So they were from Galilee. And they, these, they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then we come to Luke 24, 1, which says, But on the first day of the week, early at dawn, they came to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. Suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. There was that conversation between the angels and the, and the women that went to that tomb. And uh, Luke does not say that those women saw Jesus then. They just saw the empty tomb. 
Mark and Matthew say that uh, Mary did turn and thought Jesus was a gardener and found out it was Jesus. But Luke does not include that part. But Luke goes on to say that after the angels told them that Jesus was risen, they said, then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven. Judas is out of the picture now. They told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Seventy? Seventy plus? It's more than seventy now. For I take you a little bit further on. How many were there, all the rest? How many of them were there? who had followed Jesus into Jerusalem, participated in that palm parade, who scattered, who watched the cross from a distance, and then huddled together in despair up on Mount Olivet, in that room and around it, whatever that housing was that they had up on Mount Olivet, outside of the walls of Jerusalem. How many of them were there? They were there not only for Palm Sunday and for the cross. They were there uh, afterwards. But certainly on this first day of the week, they were still there. And uh, in, uh, in Acts 1.15, it says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, and Luke writes, Together they numbered about 120 persons. So instead of thinking 12 all, all the time, all the time, we should by now understand that there are 120 people who had followed Jesus from Jerusalem. And uh, they, were the early, they were the first formation of the church, the believers, the body of Christ. And on that 50th day, Pentecost, they added 3,000. God added 3,000 to their numbers. But there were 120 to begin with. But in this middle story that Luke is telling us, two of those 120 have left. Uh, They were on the way, heading away from all the rest. And they were heading away from the good shepherd. Ah! Keep that in mind, too. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. He's the one that told the story about the good shepherd leaving the 99 who were already in the fold together, and when one was lost, the good shepherd would leave them and go after that lost. 118 in Jerusalem, two of them heading out on the road away from Jerusalem. So let's pick up the text again in uh, verse 17. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you're walking? Mind you, they still don't know who he is. It said their eyes were kept from them. Not that they were ignorant or careless or anything, but it seems that maybe God has a hand in this. Their eyes were kept from them. What are you discussing with each other while you're walking along? They stood still, looking sad. They stopped. They're moving at a steady pace, and suddenly they stop. And Luke says, Luke gives us this major clue 
they are sad. They're not happy, they're not jolly, they're not going for a walk in the country to get some fresh air. They are despondent over what's happened. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He, Jesus, asked them, What things? You know what Jesus is doing? What things? They replied, and this is what he wanted to hear. The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now, Jesus was waiting to hear what was on their insides. Why are they leaving? And what comes out of their mouth is revealing what's inside their minds and their hearts. Number one, they do not call Jesus the Messiah. They do not call him Lord. They do not call him the Son of God. They do not call him God incarnate. They call him a prophet. On a parallel with all of the other prophets who did deeds and gave words of God to the people. And when they died, they were dead. No one ever said that Isaiah rose, Elijah rose, Zechariah rose, you name it, Jonah. So this is another prophet. It is not the Messiah. They go on in the next slide, verse 21. But we had hoped... We had hoped they're not anymore. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who, that, who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. John tells that. He said Peter ran and he ran. That he was faster than Peter. He got there first, but he stopped. Peter went in. Then he went in afterwards. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see him. As far as we know, he's gone. He's dead. Someone has taken him off. He's dumped somewhere. In essence, they were saying this, so we are leaving. We're going home. It was amazing because we had great hopes, but they killed him. They've killed another prophet, and it's over. He was just another prophet. We're done. We can conclude that by what Jesus said next to them. Verse 25 says, Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are 
How slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah, not the prophet, the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of Scripture. Wow. If you think that took 10 minutes, you're crazy. <laughs> they had two hours they were walking. I don't know when he sidled up beside them and started walking to them. But we'll give him at least an hour and a half talking to them. Beginning with Moses. That's not Moses leading the children out of Egypt. When, when, when the Jews referred to their scriptures, they referred to Moses and the prophets. That meant all of it. So Jesus began with Genesis, and then Exodus, and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, on and on, Psalms, into the prophets, told them in there everything that was about him. About five years ago, I was teaching a class at Memorial Drive Press, and we had just were concluding a year-long study of Luke, and we came to that verse. And after the class, we said, why don't we go back and look through and find everything in the Old Testament that was about Jesus? You know pieces. You may go, well, Isaiah 53, of course. And after that, you'd be stumped. And if I told you to start with Genesis 1, would you think I was crazy? What is there about Jesus? You want to take that course? <laughs> Jesus interpreted to them the things about himself in all Scripture. That's important. He was talking to them a lot. In a way, what we do every Sunday morning, going through his words. Listen for what effect it had on those two runners. We wish they had been taking notes. We don't have any notes from them. Verse 28 says, As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked on ahead as if he was going on. Ah, one more little test. Like, what things? He walked as if he was going on. What was he testing about him now? Exactly what they did. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. It wasn't, hey, why don't you stay with us? Well, stay with us. Please stay with us. There was, there was passion in their voices because there was something in their hearts now. Stay with us. It's almost evening, and the day's nearly over. He wasn't concerned about what time of day it was. He wanted to hear them say, stay with us. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, uh-oh, he took bread and blessed it and broke it 
and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished. It's all he wanted to know. He'd spent all the time with them. They knew now it was him. And he knew what was in their hearts now. Some have wondered whether they, uh, as he offered them the bread, they could see the nail prints in his hands. Or was it the whole act? Because I believe that all 120 were participants in the Last Supper. I don't care what da Vinci painted. And if he tried to paint 120 of them, we'd all been getting magnifying. Have you see anybody in there you know? So we have depictions that weren't exactly... These guys were seeing this, this... That helped them recognize. He took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them. He did not even have to say, this is my body, which is broken for you. They probably could have said it for him. Their eyes were opened. And what happened? They recognized him. He vanished from their sight. Jesus gave them the chance and the choice to replace their faith in him and resume their relationship with him. They did. They said what time of day it was, almost sundown. They asked him to stay with us. He did. At the table with them, their eyes were opened. He gave them that chance and the choice. So here's what, here's what came after that. After he vanished, next slide. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That's what should happen in our hearts when we open the scriptures and help each other. And he helps us really understand it. Pull this part to help this part and this part. Get in it. Remember it. Remember it. The more we remember, the more we'll know. We're not our hearts burning within us when he was talking to us on the road while he was opening the scriptures to us. Yes, they were. That same hour, they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. Faster pace, going uphill than they were going downhill. Jerusalem's higher than most everything else. You go up to Jerusalem, you go away from it. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. Not 15, not 25, 120. They were saying, they were saying, those that, they, those that were still there of the 118, probably the 11, were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon, Peter. Then they, the two that went on the road to Emmaus, told what happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And that's the end of Luke's telling us that story of them. The resurrection is not only the truth of God, but it is also the love of God. It's not just, the resurrection is not just about our heads. Can we believe this? 
The resurrection is about the love of God. It, every bit as much. Romans 5 and 8, 5 verse 8, says this, the proof of God's amazing love is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word proof is there. The resurrection is the proof of that proof. For if there was no resurrection, then one man dying on a cross and, be, and disappearing after that was no one dying for anyone. The resurrection was the proof of the proof of the love of God. Here's the point. These two disciples had been drawn to Jesus by his miracles, most likely. They had been transformed by his teaching, but they had been captivated by his love. We think of the things Jesus did, the miracles he did, it's sometimes hard to see between the lines how everyone who was following him felt loved by him. He knew them better than they knew themselves. He had mercy for all of them, patience with all of them. They had never met anyone who loved people like he did. And it drew them more importantly than the miracles and the teaching. We should never forget that. They were bound by his love. Their lives were filled with hope because of their, his love. He believed in them. He gave them purpose. Their lives were soaring as they moved into Jerusalem. Not knowing what was going to happen, even though he warned them, they still struggled to believe that he would rise. And then he began appearing to them. And their hearts were coming on fire again. But these two left too quick. These two left when they didn't know much. They acted too quickly. They gave up. Their knowledge of him was only partial. That's why he had to correct them. Not a prophet, a Messiah, son of God, God incarnate. They left everything to follow him, but their knowledge of him was flawed. They had so much more to learn. On the road, they received a crash course that caused their hearts to burn and led them to ask him to stay. In other words, let us stay with you now. When they found he was alive, they became alive again also. Remember, Jesus, the good shepherd, left the 99 or the 118 in Jerusalem and went after that one lost sheep who looked like two disciples, sad and dejected, heading downhill figuratively and literally in their lives. When they were reunited with Jesus, they returned to the rest of the believers back in Jerusalem immediately. No waiting, let's spend the night, have a nice brunch, and then we'll go back. Nope turned around and hightailed it as quick as they could to say that they had been with Jesus. The last picture I want to put up for you, a slide, says this. Jesus said to his first disciples and to us too, and we find it in John 13, 34, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. 
Just as I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What a great illustration for all of us as we come out of this world pandemic. We have all been shoved out away from each other on roads all over the place, away from one another, being apart, not being together, able to love one another, encourage one another, teach one another, heal one another, lift one another. Jesus knows what we've been through. Yes, he's been in our homes, he's been with us, but believe me, he would want us to turn around and do what you are exactly doing as much as he wanted them to turn around and hustle back together to one another. When you are able, those of you who are at home, we rejoice the day you will be here too. There's something about being physically present with one another that is so encouraging and powerful in our lives. May our eyes be opened much more and our hearts burn together in our walk with the Lord. May our church and many churches around the world become greater expression of open eyes and burning hearts for our Savior, for one another, for the neighbors we live among, for this country we are pleased, proud to belong to. May this be true for us going forward. I hope you learned something this morning from that lost sheep of two, two disciples running away. Amen.